Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. We've been uh, on a series uh, since the beginning of the year. We've been talking about the presence of God. And uh, the series title is, is really simple. It's just His Presence is Enough. His presence is, is enough. Um, we've said it so many times throughout this series, but uh, it's so true and it's worth repeating again and again that everything you need, everything you need is found in his presence. I believe that there's a lot of hunger in this world, not just physical hunger, I mean spiritual hunger. There's a lot of people who are lost and they're looking different places. They're looking in all different areas of the world and different ways and methods to find fulfillment. And every one of those things that they try, they come up empty again and again. And the reason why is because there is only one place that there is true fulfillment. There is only one thing that can fully satisfy. There is only one thing that lasts and that is the presence of God. That is being in the presence of God. It is where there is fullness of joy. The Bible says in Psalms that at your right hand is pleasures evermore. That in the presence of God, there is fulfillment. And it's only in the presence of God that there is fulfillment. And so we've been talking about that these past several weeks. We've gone all kinds of different places with it. And uh, so I encourage you, if, if you haven't heard or, or listened to any of those messages, to go back and listen to those. Today I want to kind of wrap up the thoughts, some of the thoughts on that, um, on this topic here this morning. Although I'm not sure that's the right way to phrase it, because I don't think we'll ever stop talking about the presence of God. We may look at it from different ways, but, um, but, but that'll be something we'll talk about here always and forever. But I want to look at uh, the presence of God here this morning, found in Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, give me a big woot woot. All right, if you don't have your Bibles, give me a boot. No, I'm just kidding, not really. No, I get it, you have the screen, that works too. So if you, uh, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Let's read it here. It's a very, very familiar passage, very familiar story. It says, Now it happened as they were, I'm sorry, now as it happened as they went, that he entered a certain village, he being Jesus, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. I want to look today at choosing the better thing. Choosing the better thing. You know, I think the, Mar- or I'm sorry, the Marthas of the world have gotten a bad rap. I think Martha in this story has kind of gotten a bad rap. How many, let, let me just do this. How many Marys do we have in the room this morning? The ones that just love to sit at his feet, the weepers during worship. You know what I'm talking about? How many of those do we have in here this morning? A handful, okay. 
How many Marthas do we have in the room here this morning? Go ahead. Don't be shy. Raise your hand. This, Marthas, this is for you this morning. Okay? This message is for you this morning. I think the Marthas of the world have gotten a bad rap. If you look here at verse 38, notice something. It was Martha who invited Jesus into her home. It was Martha's idea to host the Son of God in her home. I would even go as far as to say this. If it wasn't for Martha, Mary would not have been able to have her encounter. If it wasn't for Martha's heart to serve the Son of God, Mary wouldn't have been able to have the time to sit at Jesus' feet and to hear the words of the Savior. So Martha's role, Martha's, uh, what she does here in this, in this chapter, her role is important. All right, so I, I think Martha gets a bad rap a lot of times when we teach about this. But if it wasn't for Martha, Mary wouldn't have had her encounter with Jesus. Mar- Martha's, problem, Martha's problem wasn't that she, what she was doing wasn't important. Okay, it's not that serving and doing what she was doing wasn't important. Her problem was that she missed the more important thing. It's not that what she was doing wasn't important. It's that she was missing the more important thing. Her problem wasn't dedication. It wasn't service. It wasn't her heart. Her problem was priority. Her problem was priority. Martha had the pearl of great price sitting in her living room. She had the Son of God incarnate in the flesh sitting in her living room. And her idea of what it looks like to host him well looked like busy work. It looked like making the food, doing the dishes, cleaning the house, serving the food, doing all of the things, doing all of the things to host that a good host would do. So in her eyes, wearing herself out was hosting him well. But here's the problem with that. This is completely countercultural to the way of Jesus. It's completely counterculture. Her idea of hosting him well was wearing herself out. But Jesus, as you look at him and look at his life, he doesn't do this. Jesus comes born, right? He's, he's born on Christmas night. It takes 30 years for him to preach his first message. God comes to the earth. Finally, he's here. Everybody, reckon, or not everybody, but those who, who saw him know who he is. He's the son of God. It takes 30 years for him to preach his first message. Then after he finally steps into his role as Messiah, he begins operating as Messiah. He's, he's Messiah for one day, one day. And then he goes for 40 days into the wilderness to pray. Takes 40 days off after one day on the job of being the Messiah. Later on, we see how he, he, was, he was in a city and he got word that his buddy Lazarus was, was sick and he was dying. Jesus has the ability to heal him. Jesus has the ability to do all of those things. What does Jesus do? He hangs out for another four days before he goes to Bethany to see his friend Lazarus. Nothing could hurry this man. Nothing could hurry Jesus. 
the urgency of the moment couldn't even hurry him. And here's the deal. Jesus accomplished more at his pace of rest than we ever have running around with our heads cut off. Jesus accomplished more at his pace of rest way more than we ever could working and keeping ourselves busy and running around like we do. What's, what's one of the most common things you hear, the problem, the issue we have in our society today? Everybody is just constantly running and busy. It's all about how much can I produce? How much can I get done in a day? Yet you see Jesus, the Son of God, who has the greatest responsibility in the world on his shoulders, and he just moves at a restful, easy pace. How did, he, how did he do this? How did he accomplish so much at a pace of rest? Here's how I think, here's what I think his, his secret was. John chapter five, verse 19. He says, I only do what I, do, what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father say. See, Jesus wasn't moved by the urgency of the moment. He wasn't even moved by the need that was in front of him. Jesus was only moved by the word of his father. And I think for many of us, we would be able to accomplish so much more if we learned how to say no to the urgency of the moment in front of us. If we learned how to say no, even to sometimes the good thing that's in front of us. There's lots of good things to do, isn't there? But just because it's good to do doesn't mean it's our job to do it all the time. We have to look to the Father and say, God, what are you saying? And be obedient to his word and begin to move at the pace that Jesus moved at, which is at the pace of rest, relying fully and totally on the obedience of the Father. Amen? Jesus accomplished more at his pace of rest than any of us do working ourselves to exhaustion. There's a story uh, in this book. Let me just give a little uh, shout out here to this book. I encourage you all, um, if you have time, if you're a reader, this is a really easy one. It's called The Shepherd's Tent. It's by a man named Mark Casto. We're actually going through this book with, uh, with some of our staff here at the church. And uh, in this book, Mark Casto talks about uh, just kind of the pace that he was going at. And Mark Casto, he was a, he's a pastor, he's, he's a preacher, he's a leader in the church. And, uh, and there was a season of his life where, where, where the ministry that he was a part of just took off. He said he was preaching sometimes six times a week, traveling the world, just preaching the gospel. He was, he was doing all of the things, seeing so much success in his ministry. Thousands of people come into their conferences and their church services to hear the word of the, God, the, word of the Lord through Mark Casto. But then he says this, he says, in that season of such great fulfillment, dreams coming true, what he found was that he was empty and he was dry. He was preaching this gospel of love and of fulfillment to all of these people, but inside in his own being, he was dry and he was unfulfilled and he was tired and he was worn out. He said that, that he would wake up every day and his, his jaw would hurt and would ache because all night long he's just clenching his teeth because he was under so much stress, so much anxiety for, from always having to have a word to preach to people. Sometimes, like I said, six, five to six times a week. And so he was going at this pace 
trying to accomplish so many things. He was being Martha, right? He was doing all of the things that needed to be done, all the things that he thought needed to be done to host Jesus well. And in doing so, he was tired, he was worn out, and he was on the brink of, of just complete failure and exhaustion. And he heard a word from the Lord, and the Lord told him, he said, listen, you've got to stop everything. You've got to stop everything. And so to everybody's surprise, in the height of his success, in the height of his of ministry accomplishments, he quits everything. He quits everything. He leaves the church that he was at and uh, ends up moving to a place where his spiritual father was just so he could sit there for a while. He had no idea what he was going to do for work, no idea what he was going to do for a job. He just heard the word of the Lord that he needed to, he could not last at the pace that he was lasting at or that he was going at. So he quits everything. He moves to South Carolina to sin under his spiritual father for a while. Now get this, while he's there, he gets a phone call from a businessman in the city. And the phone call, they talk for a little bit and the uh, businessman says, he says, Mark, what, what is it that you need? What is, what is it that you need? And Mark jokingly said, well, I, I could use a salary. That would be great, you know? And the man says, done. Can you imagine that? You get a whole salary. How many of you would be okay with that? <laughs> Take some time off and uh, his whole salary gets paid for a year. The Lord supplies a year for him to be able to just sit in the presence of God and learn how to rest while accomplishing and doing the ministry. And so his salary gets paid. And so he said, you know, I, I, I have this happening. I'm sitting and everything slowed down. He said, now I, I just didn't know what to do. What do I do with myself? I just went from going 100,000 miles an hour every single day to zero, doing nothing, have no responsibility, no nothing. He said, you know, so what I found myself doing was I started getting real good at gardening. And he said, you know, he, he would work in the garden. He'd work around his house. He'd trim the bushes. He said there was not a weed on his property, right? He had, he had found, you know, he had he'd begin doing all of these things. And he said, as he uh, kind of finished up a week of just hard labor, hard work, he realized something. He realized that it wasn't ministry that was killing him. It was his addiction to busyness. Because here he is, he's stopped all of it. He has somebody paying him a salary. He has no responsibility. And what does he do? He finds a way to be busy and to fill his time with a bunch of stuff a bunch of stuff. He found that he wasn't, it wasn't ministry that was killing his, his, his intimacy with Jesus. It was busyness. It was his addiction to busyness that was causing him to lose out on his relationship with the Lord. And so what he did was he, he built a fire pit in his backyard. And he said, little did he know that this fire pit would become an altar for him where he would have encounters with Jesus. And so he builds this fire pit and he said he, every day he would wake up, weather permitting, he would wake up, he'd go outside, he would build himself a fire, and he would sit at his fire, this fireplace, with his Bible and nothing else. And he would just pray and listen to the Holy Spirit. He learned how to just rest in his presence. During one of those times, one of those mornings as he was praying, he said he closed his eyes, and to his surprise, he saw Jesus standing in front of him. He, was, he had a vision from the Lord. 
And in this vision, he sees Jesus walking towards him. And as Jesus is walking towards him, he kind of looks to the side and he sees this vineyard that is full of weeds. The, the vines are, are all rotting and it just, it just has not been kept. It's been very poorly kept. And, uh, and then he sees Jesus coming towards him and Jesus tells him, he says, hey, let's go for a walk. And he said he kind of looked at Jesus and he looked over at the vineyard and in his mind he's thinking, but I've got all of this work to do in this vineyard. This vineyard is a disaster. I've got to do something to, to get this to look better. And, and Jesus looks at him and he just says, listen, it's fine. My father is the best vine dresser. He said, you just come and take a walk with me. And so in the vision, Mark just goes on a walk with Jesus and Jesus begins teaching him things and begins talking to him. When they get back to where the vineyard was, he looks and the vineyard has become better. The growth has come back and the weeds have been pulled and, and the vineyard is looking healthy and good. And here's what the lesson was in this vision. The, the lesson was this, is we can spend all of our time trying to tend that garden, but the best way to tend that garden is to spend time with Jesus. If we learn how to just sit at his feet, then the father comes and he restores and he cleans up the garden. He cleans up the vineyard. If we learn how to rest, he actually will come and do the work in our interior garden. He said since that day, he found fulfillment in the Lord and, and it was his intimacy with God was restored once again when he learned that it wasn't his job to tend to the garden. You understand in the vision, the garden is his soul. The garden is his relationship with the Father. It's, it's his interior world. And as he learned how to rest and just walk with Jesus and sit at his feet, his vineyard was restored once again. So many of us are addicted to busyness. So many of us are addicted to accomplishing things when we'd be much more productive if we learned how to just sit at his feet. So Martha, back to the story, Martha is running around hosting Jesus by wearing herself out. She's doing all of the things. She's making all of the preparations. Where Mary, on the other hand, is just sitting at Jesus' feet. So Martha finally has had enough of this, right? So she throws off her oven mitts. She throws her apron across the, the, uh, the kitchen. She grabs her rolling pin and she marches out into the living room and she's going to set things right. So she gets out to the living room and she tells Jesus, this is what she says here in verse 40. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. This sounds a lot like my kids uh, when I'm telling them to clean the toy room, right? Eden, it's, it's always Eden, right? Because Eden's, Eden's our Martha, <laughs> right? She, she, she'll get the job done. She marches in and she begins talking King James, right? <laughs> Therefore, mother and father, make Maylie work, you know, help us. So Martha comes in and she's upset that she's doing all the work and her sister is just there sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I love Jesus's reply to Mary or to Martha. He says this, he says, Martha, Martha, 
you know it's bad news when he uses your name twice, right? They didn't have middle names, I don't think, back then. So it was just repeat the first name twice. So Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. You know, there is something I've always wrestled with in this story. And it's this. Martha wasn't necessarily doing anything wrong. There was things that needed to be done. If they were going to eat, somebody had to make the meal. I mean, Jesus was there, so maybe not, I guess. But somebody had to make the meal. Somebody had to clean up, right? Somebody had to do the dishes. We couldn't all be merry and just sit and do nothing and listen, right? Somebody had to do the work that it took to host that many people and to feed that many people. So it wasn't, so, so, so the thing I've always wondered about in the story is, is Mary isn't necessarily doing anything wrong. In fact, later on, when we read about Mary and Martha, and we see them later on in the scripture, you actually see that Martha is still doing this. She's still serving. She's still making food. It talks about how she was in the, in the room preparing the meal for the disciples and all the people, and Martha was serving. And at that point in time, Jesus isn't rebuking her for not, for not being in the room or for serving, Right? So she's, she's doing this other places in the Bible. The Bible talks about how it's good to work, right? The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And what does it say? Pray that the Lord would send out laborers into the field. Work is a good thing. What Martha was doing was not evil. It was not bad. It was actually necessary, so what was it Jesus was trying to communicate here? There's a much deeper message here than just the fact that she was working and preparing meals. There's a much deeper meaning here than what is happening. Jesus wasn't telling her not to work. It was much, much deeper than that. So let's look a little deeper at the scripture here. In verse 40, it says, Martha was distracted with much serving. That word distracted there is a fancy Greek word that means this, distracted. <laughs> surprise, surprise. I'm telling you, Greek word studies, they're fun. It means distracted, but it's not just your ordinary word for distracted. It's not distracted like maybe some of you are right now during the message. You're distracted thinking about lunch, wondering when I'm going to wrap this thing up, right? It's not that kind of distracted. It's an anxious distracted, right? It's a worried distraction. The, the word there is, isn't your normal word for distraction. It's, it actually can mean anxious. It's, it's that there's something that's on her mind that is causing her to be distracted and not able to see what is happening in the moment. So she is distracted. It says, it says Martha was distracted with much serving. Then you go on a little further, or the next verse in verse 41, where Jesus addresses her and he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. That word worried there means to be anxious and troubled with cares. The word troubled there means to be disturbed, troubled, and distracted. So Martha's problem wasn't that she was working. 
Jesus wasn't rebuking her for doing, uh, for cooking meals and doing dishes. He wasn't rebuking her for working. He wasn't really even rebuking her, I don't think at all. Maybe that's not the right word. He was bringing correction. He was showing her a better way. But it wasn't because she was working. It was because she was working from a place of anxiousness. She was working from a place of anxiety rather than from a place of presence. Her work came from a place of fear. You know, I, I'm speculating a little bit here because it doesn't tell us what was on Mar Martha's mind. It doesn't tell us what things she was going through. We honestly don't know much about her history. But I'm speculating here a little bit in that I also, I, I know that in that culture, in ancient Israel, the Jewish culture was that women were really very oppressed people. And that what was happening in the other room was actually against the law. That Mary sitting at a rabbi's feet, a woman sitting at a rabbi's feet, actually was a countercultural thing and wasn't something that was done. That, that, if, that if the Pharisees and the Sadducees knew that Jesus was teaching a woman, they would be very, very upset. And I can see where maybe Martha is a rule follower, right? How many rule followers do we have in the room? I know of at least one sitting on the front row here this morning. And what's funny about that is she married a rebel in some ways. But I imagine that Martha was a little bit of a rule follower. And her rule follower in her was, was this, that the woman's place is not at the feet of the rabbi. The woman's place was in the kitchen doing the meal, preparing the meal and doing the dishes and those sorts of things. That was the Jewish culture and custom. So I'm wondering if she's operating not from necessarily even a place of serving, but from a place of trying to gain acceptance. That she's doing what she's supposed to be doing and she's trying to earn acceptance from the Father. But her little sister, Mary, the troublemaker, is in there sitting at his feet, rebelling against the culture while I'm in here doing what I'm supposed to do. And so Mary, it's not that Mary, the work that she was doing was wrong. It's that she was doing it from a place of anxiety. She was doing it from a place of anxiousness and a place of distraction. And so Jesus tells her, Jesus tells her, Mary, or Martha, Martha, you are troubled and distracted over many things. See, I don't, again, I don't think the problem is work. I think the problem was where she was working from and what was happening on the inside of her. Jesus goes on to say in verse 42, one thing is needed and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. That word part is the Greek word. I'll pronounce this one because it's easy. Maris. And it means portion or district. Thayer's Greek lexicon says, says it like this. It, it means I have portion or I have form. It's a, it's an, a word of identity. It's who I am. It means fellowship with one. So Mary has chosen her portion or her identity or who is she is going to be. She has chosen her district. That word district is, is, is the, the idea of a part of land. 
a piece of land. It's a, the district. So she has chosen her district or where she is going to live. What the word I believe is trying to tell us here is this. Martha was finding her identity in her work. She was finding her identity and what she could do to serve. And it was causing her anxiousness. It was, she was working from a place of trying to earn acceptance. But Mary was saying, I find my identity in his presence. The definition of who I am, the good part, my identity is someone who sits at his feet and listens to his words. Mary says, I have found the place where I will take up residence, my district, and it's at his feet. Martha was distracted by her work. And it wasn't that the work was bad, is that she, that there was a better thing in front of her. There was a better thing in front of her. Martha was focused and distracted by this one thing. This one thing was the work that was in front of her. And she was so distracted by the work that was in front of her that was necessary, that she needed to do, that she forgot that there was another part. She forgot that there was another thing to do. And I think, uh, I think of our church when I think of this particular part. That there are so many in this church who volunteer, who give of their time. There's people who run sound in the back. There's people who run the video camera. There's people who are teaching kids in the classrooms. There's people who clean, help clean the church. There's people who come in on Sunday morning and set up chairs. There's people who help take down the chairs afterwards. There's people on the worship team leading us in worship. There's people plowing our drive. How many of you enjoyed coming in on a clean uh, parking lot this morning? That's thanks to Mr. Kevin Klee right here. I so appreciate him coming and giving of his time to do that. There's so many of us that are doing the work that Martha did. The stuff that is necessary to do. The stuff that, that, that is good to do and that is right. Listen, if it wasn't for what you guys do in this church the Marys of the world wouldn't be able to have their encounter with Jesus. If it wasn't for the time that you put in to uh, investing into the kingdom, investing into our kids, investing into making this place nice and accessible, if it wasn't for that, then Mary wouldn't be able to have her time and her encounter with Jesus. But here's what I wanna say and the, the thing I wanna say to all of our volunteers here this morning, that that part is good, but don't forget how to transition to the better thing. That the work is necessary and good. And I'm so thankful for all of the things that everybody here does. Again, if it wasn't for that, Mary wouldn't be able to have her encounter. But it wasn't just Mary's place to have the encounter. It was Martha's place too. Martha 
could enjoy the presence of God too. Martha's problem wasn't that she worked. Martha's problem was that she didn't know when it was time to transition from the good thing to the better thing. And what I want for all of our volunteers here in the church is, is yes, let's continue doing the good thing. Let's continue making the preparations. Let's continue doing the work. But don't forget that you get to have an encounter with Jesus too. That you get to sit at his feet as well. Make sure that you take time to transition from doing the work of the ministry to actually being able to enjoy the benefits of the ministry, which is being able to sit at his feet and get revelation from the Father to be able to sit in his presence and have all of your needs and everything met, have all of your fulfillment, your desire, your longing met by sitting at the feet of Jesus, that the encounter wasn't just for Mary, it was for Martha as well. It was for Martha as well. Don't forget how to transition from the good thing to the better thing. I don't know if... Martha laid down the work in that moment and joined her sister at his feet. It doesn't tell us. The word doesn't give us uh, any context to what happens after Jesus addresses Martha. But I would imagine, just based off the context of Scripture, that she did find the better thing. Based off her reaction and when her brother Lazarus dies and the fact that the, the person she runs to is Jesus. I would imagine that she understood and got the revelation in that moment that she is, has a place at the feet of Jesus. But what I do know for sure is this, that this short story in the Bible is recorded directly after the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's recorded right before Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray the model prayer. Two of the most uh, well-known passages in Scripture, the well-known parables and stories in Scripture. And this story is sandwiched right in the middle of it. I also know that the, you find this story in the Gospel of Luke, and Luke is by far the most detailed Gospel writer of any of the other Gospels. And he thought that this story was important enough to put in his writings. So that this small, short story was important enough that the Holy Spirit thought it valuable enough for us to hear it, that he put it in the scriptures. And I believe that this is the lesson that was meant to be learned in this. Choose the better thing. There are so many things that can distract you. Many of them are good things. Many of them are necessary things. Choose the better thing. Choose the better thing. There are many things that need to get done, but they are not the only thing. There are many things that we need to do that are necessary to do. There is a lot of work to be done. Jesus isn't telling us to not work. He's telling us, Learn how to transition from the work to the better thing. Learn when it's time to work, to sweat, to do the things that need to be done that are necessary, but also learn 
how to set those things off, to turn those things off, and just come and rest in his presence. To come and to rest in his presence. Scripture that we've used a lot here during this message is out of Psalms 27. And David says this, he says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that one thing will I seek, that I may behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He tells us to go after one thing, and here's, what, here's, here's the truth behind that. To seek after one thing doesn't mean that you only do one thing. It doesn't mean that you only sit at the feet of Jesus and don't do anything else, that you ignore the work that needs to be done. Going after one thing means this, that even though I'm going after one thing, everything I do is birth out of that one thing. Everything I do is for that one thing. Whether it's in my combine harvesting, I do it to honor Jesus. Whether it's coaching Little League Baseball, I do that to honor Jesus. Everything that I do is, goes back and points to the one thing. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek. His presence is enough, church. His presence is enough. Let's go ahead and stand together this morning. Jesus, as I look around the room, I see so many people that are hard workers. God, people that, that, that work, uh, work physically, people that work um, in their own jobs, in their own careers, but I also see so many people who work and put in so much time and energy to build your kingdom, Jesus. I see so many people who give of themselves so that Mary can have her encounter with you, Jesus, that put in the time and the effort but God, I just pray that this morning that those who put so much work and so much energy, God, I pray that they would learn what it is to transition into the better thing. Father, that they would learn how to transition into being able to abide in your presence, Jesus. God, that you would teach us how to walk at the pace of Jesus. God, that we wouldn't we want to get caught up in busy work. We want to get caught up in, in things that, that look good and things that need to be done. God, that we want to get caught up into the urgency of the moment. But Father, that we would be able to walk as you walked. God, that nothing would be able to hurry us because we are walking not at the pace of this world, not at the pace of the urgency in front of us, but God, we are walking at the pace of the Father. God, that we would learn how to walk at the pace of rest and peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Father, we would learn that we can actually accomplish more, that we can actually be more successful if we learn how to walk at the pace of I only do what I see my Father doing, and I only say what I hear my Father saying. Teach us how to walk at the pace of rest. Teach us how to practice the presence of God. God, that we would not only experience your presence in this room in a worship service, but God, that all throughout our day, Father, while we're doing the work, 
God, we would know how to practice and walk in the presence of God. God, that we would learn how to say no to the urgent in front of us. That we would learn how to say no to the good thing in front of us that you are not asking us to do. And Father, we would learn how to say yes to sitting at your feet. We would learn how to say yes to working from a place not of anxiousness, not of distraction, but from a place of rest and fulfillment and acceptance. God, let us find our place in your presence. Let us find our identity as, our, as your sons and your daughters and not be defined by the work that we do and things that we can accomplish. But God, our identity would be found as sons and daughters of God. God, we honor you this morning. God, I thank you for your presence that is so real and so here this morning. God, may we grow more and more into the knowledge of your presence. May we be able to sense the manifest presence of God in a greater and deeper way. God, may we go from glory to glory to glory. Father, we honor you today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org.